let's just think about somebody who's writing a creative brief this week. Give me one practical technique from writing, writing rap that might be useful to that person. One of the techniques in writing 16 bars, which is one verse of a rap song, is you just let the beat breathe. You know, you got to just take a step back from your paper and just listen to the beat and let that guide you. What's up? Welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I have Asha Davis here. Asha co-hosts and produces the Disruptor Series podcast. She's also an integrated strategy director at TBWA, Chiat Day, New York, Canadian-born, New York-based. Asha has over a decade of experience in the advertising industry and has helped top-tier brands, including Dove, Huggies, and Nissan, connect the dots across their communications and organizations to create award-winning campaigns. She's also, well, in as well as being an accomplished marketer, she's also a stand-up comedian writer and has performed at some of the most famous comedy clubs in New York. And I've had the pleasure of seeing a video of one of those performances. Asha Davis, welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Mark. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're going to talk about fast wit today. But before we talk about the topic, I'm going to put you to the test. Okay. Rhyming words. Usher. Okay. Pasha. Davis. Cravis. Rob Schwartz. Bob Thwartz. Panini. Janini. All right. That's pretty good. That's pretty fast wit. I like it. Now I want to put your comic skills, your comic magic to the test. What's the funniest thing about birds? Their beaks, for sure. Uh, the way that they uh, open them, close them, can peck your eyes out with them. That's my kind of humor. I love it. Okay. Do you have a favorite smell on the New York subway? And make it funny, right? <laughs> a favorite smell on the New York subway uh, for me is anything that's not animal based. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Give me a funny answer to this. Uh, so uh, what am I doing? Give me a funny answer to that. I'm like that annoying person who meets someone at a party and they're like, I'm a comedian, which is probably not what a comedian would say. And they're like, tell me a joke. So sorry about this, but it just came out of my mouth. I can't control my mouth sometimes. Why is Canadian culture less hysterical than American culture? First of all, first of all, Canadian culture is not less hysterical than American culture. I just think Canadians, let me say this, Canadians do have a little, uh, a little more comfort, a little more happiness. You know, there's probably something there that you don't have to uh, laugh at the pain as much because that pain is, is free and covered by free healthcare. And so that's probably my hypothesis there. Right. But, you know, so there's the some very comedy. hysterical people from Canada. <laughs> totally. And I mean hysterical, not necessarily as in funny, but as in frenzied. Oh, oh, hysterical as in frenzy. See, my mind was going to comedy. Yeah. yeah. Probably because you're more relaxed because your life is a bit more taken care of. Okay. I like that. All right. So comedian, rapper, and planner, which were you first? I was a rapper first, depending on the circle I'm in, because I know, you know, your background, Mark, I say rapper, depending on the circle, it's musician, you know, artist. You know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I started uh, writing rhymes when I was 14, 15 years old. Um, and the first time that I 
spit a hot 16 for my dad. Um, he told me that he used to rap back in the 80s and he actually opened up for Grandmaster Flash and the, and the Fat Boys um, when they would come to Toronto. So that was really cool. <laughs> uh, why would you rap your first 16 bars in front of your dad? That seems like an unusual way to announce yourself to the world. You know what? My dad is an awesome guy. You know, I grew up um, with a single dad and we were very close. He he was my friend, you know, and I was impressed with myself my first time listening to Biggie Smalls, Nas, uh, Jay-Z was in my dad's car. You know, he introduced me to hip hop um, and who better to share my first 16 with than, you know, my pops. That's cool. The music of Jay-Z or Jay-Z. The, the music of Jay-Z. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's cool. That's cool. How does a 14 or 15-year-old announce to their parent that they would like to share their first raps with them? Basically, you know, everybody's chilling, watching TV, and uh, I say, hey, Dad, I wrote this thing, and I practiced it in my room and memorized it, uh, and he's like, what? I was like, I wrote a rap, you know, and he's okay, turned off the TV, uh, let's hear it. And, you know, he said, wow, you don't suck. That's pretty good. And he was pretty supportive. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. That's really cool. What drew you to rap or to the act of rapping? You know what? I just, I, I remember liking to write songs and poetry when I was a little kid. Like uh, I actually found notebooks from when I was like five, six, seven, where it's like, you know, for example, um, TV jingles or so, like, you know, Lamb Chops play along or like the songs, Barney song, you know, the songs that would everybody knew, I would write my own words to those melodies. And it was, you know, poetry or songs or whatever. And I was doing that since I was a little kid. So uh, I loved, uh, still do love rap music, love hip hop, have my favorite artists and the ability to sort of tell stories in a clever you know, way, use metaphors, similes, all those stuff. I also, you know, surprisingly ended up getting an English degree. You know, I, I just loved yeah. that wordplay. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, as people reinvent themselves through their lives or careers, or even if they're just adding things on, it's it's really not uncommon to think about what you're into as a kid, because there was something probably very innate in you that drew you to words. I have not read any research about whether a love of words is like an inherited thing. It wouldn't surprise me that there's a brain that's word oriented, let alone growing up in a house where there's maybe a lot of chat or music or yeah. books or reading or speaking, right? Yeah. Can you pinpoint what it was in your origins that led you to this love of words? Yeah, I think, you know, so um, I grew up, as I said, with my dad, uh, we lived at grandma's house for a good chunk of my childhood, um, along with my dad is the youngest of four brothers. And all of them, they're all one year apart and they all had a DJ group together called Imagination Sound Crew. And so, uh, and not only that, in our house, uh, growing up, my uncle had the largest collection of records in the province of Ontario. So we had crates and crates and crates, not like the crate challenge you're seeing now, because that's cray, uh, but we had crates and crates of actual, you know, vinyl records in our house. And um, it's interesting because my grandmother, uh, she's Jamaican and, you know, having four sons, she just wanted to know where her kids were. So she was very supportive of them being DJs and playing music. And our house was the house that everybody came to. You know, so growing up, uh, I lived in a house that was constantly like bustling and bubbly and and all of that. And so w waking up, you're hearing music playing, going to bed, you're hearing music playing and nobody's saying, you know, turn it off. They're just happy that people are home and safe, you know, and, and I think 
music was yeah, yeah, yeah. always sort of a, a safe space for me. I love it. I love it. And then comedy. How did you go from rap to adding comedy? Did you do both simultaneously? Did you switch one out for the other? Yeah, I actually switched one out for the other. So um, interesting story. I, you know, if you guys uh, didn't know, hip hop is, you know, a lifestyle. It's not just something you kind of do in your in your spare time. And so there came a point in this young woman's life where she had to decide, you know, are, am I going to be a rapper or am I going to be a professional in society, right? And for a while, I was kind of doing both after I graduated from university. Um, and it came to a point, I think I was working at my first agency at the time. And I was like, okay, going to these shows, you know, you're at the show till like two, three in the morning, you're traveling, you're doing all this stuff. This was not sustainable and, and also having a career. And I felt like in the long run, the career would be the better the better move for me. I did get to a point doing music where I was going to labels. And um, at the time, there weren't a ton of female rappers out. Actually, Nicki Minaj and I are kind of around the same age, came up around the same time. I've seen her in New York at, at rap battles and stuff. At the time, going to labels, the image that they wanted to mold me into and the things that they wanted me to agree to in terms of what I would talk about in my music and, and what image I would portray um, were not necessarily conducive to who I am inside. You know, I was like, well, you know what, I've got this opportunity to do this career in marketing. I actually like that field. Um, and so that was that. And um, a part of me died inside, I'm not going to lie. And there was a number of years where I was not performing and I was just working. Something in me, I can't really explain it. I don't know. I have to perform. Like I have to be on stage. And it's weird because I'm an introvert. Like, you know, when you interview those uh, celebrities and it's like they're this being on stage, but then behind the scenes, like they're quite quiet and quite shy. That that was me. I was even growing up in school. I was very, very shy, you know? And so uh, that kind of caused a bit of darkness inside of me, to be honest, like not being able to perform, not doing music. I did a fashion blog for a while and that was something, you know? Um, and then when I moved to New York in 2016 uh, with Ogilvy and Mather, I was like, what is something I always wanted to do? And people always told me I was funny. People told me, you know, you should try, you know, comedy. And so I moved to New York, started taking some classes at Upright Citizens Brigade, The Pit, um, and then did my first stand-up show in 20... Did writing, like sketch writing, still do that. Did my first stand-up show in 2018, actually. And first time I went up, I didn't suck. And the the promoter asked me to come back. It was at a Grizzly Pear on West 4th. So uh, through the guys that do Stand Up NY, which I performed at a number of times as well. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of how I got started. And I kept going in the, the stand-up comedy community in New York at the level, you know, that I'm at. I'm not quite Jerry Seinfeld. Um, but uh, the stand-up community is so tight and so strong and so supportive and um, made it easy to, to keep moving. That's awesome. Stand up and why is my local, but the drinks prices, a little bit of feedback comment. <laughs> drink, drinks prices, fair dinkum, fair dinkum. Yeah, I was going to ask you if that decision hurt you a, a little or a lot. And like, do, does it still hurt? Do you still feel a bit of pain, a bit of grief about that career switch or life switch? You know, it's interesting you ask that, Mark. Like, people haven't asked me that before. Seeing Drake from Toronto make it to this degree. I feel like I would have been part of that team. Like I know a lot of those people that are in that. I, you know, personally, we have songs together. Um, and so part of me is like, wow, if I just stayed doing that and said, you know, it doesn't matter if the labels are telling me to 
get breast implants or rap about sexual matter, which I'm not into. I'm very PG, even in my comedy. That's just who I am. It's like, if I would have just stayed true to myself, perhaps I could have been, you know, the Janelle Monet in OVO. Who knows, right? So part of me does feel like, wow, if I kept going with that and didn't kind of pivot to a corporate career, you know, what could have happened? Yeah, it's interesting. We're going to gently nudge into this topic of dealing with a fast wit and a fascination with words while working a strategic planning job in advertising in a massive system. We're going to get there. But this is like a really important topic. And I, and I think, especially as people reach their late 20s, and then it's probably also late 30s, late 40s, people have to reassemble their stories because they're confronted yeah. by these shifts in age and the expectations that they have that they think society or their families have of them and of their lives and their decisions. And they have to make sense of the decisions they've made while also sometimes struggling with pain of having given things up that they were just naturally electrically drawn to and then comes the process not of just reassembling that story but then working out what life's actually about in a slightly slightly more honest way than possibly the decade and a bit before am i putting words into your mouth or is that what you're going through is that do you relate to what i just said because i said a lot i was grabbing No, I'm like, I feel like, oh my gosh, is this a podcast or a therapy session? Because I'm just well, having a break right now. <laughs> um, no, no, definitely relate to that. And I definitely think that uh, at least being in a field that there are transferable skills helps. You know, I think, you know, part of me, my dad really wanted me to get into finance. I was, you know, he is an entrepreneur in addition to being a finance guy, quite successful. And he taught me how to do Excel when I was really young and I'm really good at that accounting and business and stuff. It's just not enjoyable to me, you know? And so he was actually quite disappointed when uh, I was like, I don't want to do that type of job. You know, I can't sit at a desk all day. So there is at least some benefit to being in a field that I enjoy. But I think comedy is a way for me to get back to that. Because even the type of rap I love, like I used to love freestyle rapping. Oh my gosh. Like I would be in the group and the guys would be like, you know what? I'm going to let, you know, the girl get you and they wouldn't know what to expect and I would come in like uh (laughs) this is crazy um and so I do feel like doing comedy allows me to sort of take that back you know and and not necessarily have to rely so much on my job to have a level of fulfillment or or use different pieces of the brain it's I mean like I'm not gonna say anything original here but trying to sort of have a complete life through a job or through another human they're false concepts and we're just led to believe that they're accurate and true concepts sometimes for a decade or two and then you're like hang on (laughs) I used to write a lot I need to get back to writing and you might find a you might find a scent of it in a day job and if you can that's great but Maybe you also need to be a stand-up comedian and not just be funny in meetings every now and then. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. The Sweathead Do Together is the first strategy conference you can turn into a plan. It will happen on September 22, 23, and 24, and it will feature over 14 speakers plus an optional masterclass on the third day. Everything will happen online, and it will make most sense for people in the time zones between LA and New York. How do you how do you deal with your fast wit in advertising? Okay, you're in New York, and New York is aggressive. It's exciting. It's fast. 
And honestly, it's super bureaucratic and conservative, I've, I've found, in advertising. And, you know, you could be a planner on one massive global account, for example, which you are, and I'm not trying to kind of come in at this in a weird way and see where we land and hope that we land in a really unexpected and vulnerable place where you overexpose something that's going on. That's not what this is about. I just I get around personally and I talk to a lot of people. There, there can be this vibe in some of these planning jobs where you feel like more of a bureaucrat than a creative spirit. So how do you deal with working with a fast wit? Because if you're a writer, you're a comedian, you're a rapper, you can probably put things together relatively quickly, right? But you don't get paid for putting things together relatively quickly in advertising if you have to fill in timesheets and if you're on dedicated or you're dedicated to a particular brand or two. Help me out. Help me understand how you deal with your fast brain, whether it fits in, and yeah, talk to me. I think, Mark, that's a fantastic question. Um, so I think obviously different people do deal with things in different ways. You know, for me, one of the things that's helped is to find things that bring me joy outside the day-to-day, in addition to finding joy in the day-to-day, right? So to start with the second part in terms of the how to deal with with that it's you know the people that we that we get to interact with one thing that actually brings me a level of joy from work that might be a little unexpected is getting people to like open up seeing different pieces of people's personality that only happen when you give them those opportunities or put them in those situations or connect these dots that now brings in teams or disciplines that don't normally get to be involved in some of the more shinier things, right? And so that being able to see that and see people grow and see people start to contribute in ways that were not happening prior to me being there, brings me joy. You know, also, Uh, In advertising, we work with a lot of folks outside of our organizations, whether it's folks on platforms like Google, Facebook, or partners like magazines or, you know, television networks, NBC, things like that. And so working together with those partners to bring ideas to life in a bit less of a conventional way also is, you know, and they're moving much, much more quickly. When you think about co-created content with NBC or a program with Google, these things are moving much quicker than, for example, getting to a commercial, you know? Um, And so there are opportunities to uh, inject uh, inject that there. When it comes to finding joy outside of my job, uh, of my day-to-day, a couple of the things that that work for me are, number one, something that's very near and dear to my heart is the concept of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and particularly supplier diversity, which sounds like weird, you know, um, but it's essentially to me the most walking the walk, if you will, form of DEI, right? It's literally putting money in the pockets of businesses that don't normally get opportunities to to work with big Mm -hmm. agencies. Mm -hmm. And seeing the commitment that has been made across major organizations, both on the agency and brand client side, um, has been very rewarding. And being able to be on the forefront of uh, some of those initiatives has been very rewarding. Right now, we're working uh, with Omnicom to do a billion-dollar pledge to diverse suppliers. And this is literally something that I had in my mind, pitched, and you know, now it's, it's 
pretty much happening, yep. you know? And so to see that happen, that brings me a lot of, uh, a lot of joy. Also, you know, partnering with Rob, having great advocates at work like Rob and, and working with him to, on the disruptor series, you know, which is obviously Mark, how, how we got connected. That also brings me a, a lot of joy. I'm able to sort of take my love and, and my capabilities and, and the way that I kind of think and, and what matters to me um, and use that in service of, you know, what, what I think is elevating, you know, the yeah, agency, yeah. you know? And, and so those are, those are ways that I've tried to navigate that. Okay. Yeah. I just, just to point out one thing that I often talk to people about is like finding, finding your verbs, finding the things that you do naturally, you use the phrase, connect the dots, right? Yeah. And so you found a way to connect dots. That's not just about putting words next to each other in a way where the words rhyme or putting words next to each other, each other, where you elicit a laughter, but connecting dots where you're actually putting people together in ways that are changing things that are structurally difficult to change. But at the same time, um, and full respect for finding that and, and seeing that in you and then being able to apply it in a pretty big system where the system is advertising in America, right? It's a massive, massive system. But what about connecting the dots between the words, your wit? You know, how much of that, not trying to get you into trouble, but how how much of that can you apply in the day job? Or is that an irrelevant question? You know, you can't apply it in the way that you want to. I'll say that, you know, and there are areas where the way that my brain works, sometimes you got to understand that not everybody's brain works the same way. Not everybody thinks the same way. And me coming to that understanding relatively later in in my life, like relatively recently, you know, you can't, you can't always do everything you want to do, you know, for some of the reasons that you mentioned before. Right. And so I think it's about sort of figuring out what's right for you, you know, and I think in, in the strategy world, one of the ways that uh, that is applicable is in communication with some of our most important partners, which are, which is our creatives, you know, those are the people that understand me the most, I think in the whole machine of, of advertising, I am Mm -hmm. a creative in my heart and a strategist IRL and being able to connect with creatives through, you know, language and other, you know, and other means is, is definitely fulfilling to me as well. Yeah. Have you ever had explicit feedback that you're going too quickly? You're too fast, Usher, slow down. Yes, uh, I'm, I'm too fast. I'm thinking too far ahead. I, am, I think I'm the smartest person in the room, and that's a problem. Uh, I actually heard uh, that I lack soft skills. I need to work on my soft skills. And when asked, what does that mean? The answers were very vague and clear and, and unclear. And essentially it boiled down to being a bit too straightforward and, and to the point and uh, too specific in terms of what I think it needs to be, which you know, oftentimes is the, is the right way. Um, and so definitely, uh, definitely can relate to that. Yeah. Why, why don't you think people might have said to you instead, Hey, keep going at that speed or maybe even go quicker. We love that. Why is there no incentive to encourage someone who is fast witted to stay fast witted? You know, I don't know. And I think perhaps different industries operate in different ways. Right. And I do think it is really subjective to who your direct team is. And um, I I obviously wish that that would be something that 
could be nurtured within me, you know, and and as I move through my career and, and look at the ways that I want to grow, that's something that is very important to me because the way that I think and thinking, you know, 10 steps ahead is why my campaigns are winning Effie awards for you know, long-term effectiveness and impact, because I'm not just thinking about what's going to check the box and get us to the next meeting. I'm thinking about what's actually going to work. And I think like that, not only in my job, but in my actual life. When I think about comedy, it was very, it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to get on stage. Like I took classes. I learned how to write specifically for comedy. I, you know, there, there was a method to that, you know? And um, yeah, I, I think I wish that that was a bit more appreciated in general. Yeah, I don't have like academic language to explain it, but when you're doing rap, freestyle rap or improv or even comedy, as you're speaking, you're thinking of the next thing that you're going to say, possibly the thing after that, while also considering five or 10 other things that you could say, and it happens in an instant, right? And so to exist in that world, which is also a battle world, it's a competitive world where if you don't do well, you don't get invited back, you get laughed at, you get dissed, someone does a diss track about you if you say the wrong thing, right? (laughs) To then be able to sort of take that into the corporate world, I think there's just a riddle out there where advertising is supposed to be creative. The advertising industry is supposed to be creative. It's supposed to want creative individuals. And yet I don't think enough people enough leaders enough people with power actually think about that and think about the creative person and what they can do what their companies can do to amplify to emphasize to exaggerate the very people that they think they're being paid to deploy on a client's brand and instead it's like how can these creative people who don't fit into many parts of society very very often to be honest, how can they fit into our system? And if they don't, tisk 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 on them for being weird and abnormal. Do you think it's possible for an agency to be able to exaggerate and emphasize a brain like yours? Or do you think the onus is on someone like you to have to work through a system? I think that the agency structure definitely needs to be looked at. I think that if there were more leaders that thought like you, Mark, then I do think that overall the industry would be a better place. I think that strategy is a sticky wicket, as they say, because are you creative? Are you business? Are you, what, what, is, what is strategy? People don't really know. It's usually the uh, out of left field department and it's kind of dependent and it's, it's much more dependent on who the leader is than some of the other departments, you know, like you see dramatic differences in strategy departments from agency to agency, even in the same region, you know, and it's very, uh, very much subject to what that particular discipline's leader deems important, you know, and so if there is a difference of opinion of what's important, then who wins? Yeah. Uh, Usually not you know, the worker beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's hard when you're selling time, right? When you're selling time, it's hard to think fast because you can't sell half an hour or half a day. I want to talk to you about how you've, I guess, compensated in your working life for having this fast wit. You know, for example, some people who are really fast-witted, they start to find themselves wanting to do workshops a lot because it's like, I can be in the moment and it feels like for you, maybe it feels like a bit of a battleground and you can get thinking happening quickly and then I'll go away and type it up and then we're good, right? Have, 
have you found yourself gravitating to certain types or styles of working in advertising that allow the fast wit to be fast? Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, earlier in my career was definitely, you know, the the brainstorm queen, you know, I could definitely help not only get to cool places, but also help organize and streamline those after the fact, you know, Um, also leading client workshops, also, you know, intern workshops and things like that. So definitely, you know, you're right on the money with that. I think where things play in now in terms of that, that wit and how you can apply that in a practice, how I'm able to apply that in a practical manner. Now it's a form of brainstorming, but it's the partnership with media actually. And like the flexibility there of like, what are we going to do? What tactics are we going to do? Which is a little, believe it or not, less structured, even though media sounds like the more businessy side, it is a little less structured because they're the ones with the money. And so if we can work together and quickly sort of think, okay, we could do this, we could do this. Or even when you have a partner, what exactly are you doing with that partner to actually drive effectiveness and connect back to the, to the greater idea? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of these things are very quick moving, you know what I mean? And you get to a much better place where when I'm in a meeting and I'm having these uh, conversations with an Amazon or, you know, with a Condé Nast or something, you get to these really great places that I'm not sure or that we would have got to without kind of that quickness to be able to put things together. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I, I feel like there's these two behaviors, verbs, things that you do that you found a place for in the, in the corporate world. One is connecting the dots, right? And that's gone from connecting the dots verbally with words to connecting the dots with people and through systems and structures. So that's interesting. And then through that example, you found the speed. You found where speed is in a system more often than not, and maybe it's not every day, maybe it's once a week, who knows, but you found some speed to jump onto so that you can be fast, right? So the two things to think about for anybody else who's feeling a little bit stuck or questioning themselves and whether what they feel inside can exist in a company, right? It's often going back to your own, I guess, first principles, the things that you think you're good at or that you like to do, the things that you find yourself naturally doing. And working out how to kind of reassemble all of that in a way where you can do it on the job, because the opposite of that is probably a very repressed, frustrated life. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty lonely. <laughs> uh, but good, maybe good for some stand-up comedy material. Although I don't think I don't I don't think a lot of uh, audiences really want to hear about advertisers because it's one of the you know least liked, least trusted professions. And there's been a lot of famous comedians talking about advertising and their disdain for it. Let's talk. Um, let's talk practical techniques. Yeah. So let's imagine that there's someone younger than you coming up, they're thinking about, I don't know why I brought age into it. Let's just think about somebody who's writing a creative brief this week, right? Yeah. One. Although the funny the funny thing is like there are a lot of people out there who have to write tens of creative briefs in a week. And then whenever I say that, people in London are like, what? That doesn't exist. I'm like, come over to America. <laughs> let's, let's, just pretend, let's just pretend that we're talking to somebody who's writing a creative brief and they've, yeah. they've got to get something decent together this week. Yeah. Give me one practical technique from writing writing rap that might be useful to that person. Uh, great question. Take a step back outside of the brief. So uh, one of the techniques in writing 16 bars, which is one verse of a rap song, is you just let the beat breathe. 
you know, you, you got to just take a step back from your paper and just listen to the beat, right? And let that guide you. And so when you take a step back, um, you give yourself time to kind of let the beat breathe, as you say, and kind of look around outside of the brief at like what would be helpful take a look at the brief through somebody else's lens you know so when you are also writing 16 bars you you might get to you know eight bars and then you listen back to it and then you're like okay tighten or or finish it up so i think take a step back let the beat breathe take a look around and get a little bit outside of your own head uh, and that usually works i love that because you're trying to and this word gets used in a uh, too dramatic way, but you, you're trying to craft a set of words that sit on a page that you can represent in public. And I guess I love let the beat breathe because it's arguing against rushing into first thoughts because the first thoughts, especially if you haven't written many creative briefs, and I see a ton of them, usually it sounds like a college or a university essay where you're using big words to impress people. And a creative team, if you're working with a creative team, they're not going to know what to do with it and you're not going to be useful. Therefore, you will get downgraded in the eyes of other people. Whereas if you let the beat breathe, which could be, it could be also through affirmations. Like, I've got this, I've got this. Yeah. Or it could be through music, right? Put on your favorite song and see what comes out. And then the listening back and, and tightening is interesting. What about freestyle rap battle techniques is there one that somebody could apply to a creative brief that they're writing this week okay so the biggest thing with freestyle rap and this is also common with with improv as well is the more you think the more it sucks and i know that that sounds counterintuitive right but so there's a lot of preparation that happens going before you ever get into you know the ring for freestyle rapping or into, you know, onto the stage for improv, right? But that preparation is you're so prepared that it just comes natural so that you don't even have to think, right? And so one of the things that I think is helpful, again, when you're when you're writing a brief is think about what needs to go in a brief when you're not writing a brief, you know, so that when you have to write the brief, you're prepared and you actually understand, you know, the difference between an objective and, you know, uh, know, a platform and like all these, all these things, because there's people that I think never really take the time to actually, you know, you get thrown into the fire and it's like, okay, write this brief, but you don't actually know what you're doing. Yeah. So before I ever got into, you know, a freestyle rap battle in front of people, I listened to a lot of music. I watched, you know, <laughs> a lot of DVDs at the time, you know, in terms of what people were doing. I had a lot of pre-prepared comebacks that I could get to in the moment before ever getting in that so that it looks super natural. And so one of the things that can help, as I said, is for creative brief writing is, is be prepared. Let that come second nature to you so that you can, and actually take the time to learn. Don't just pretend that you can do it, you know, actually take the time to understand what the words mean on the page. I love that. I love that. And also I think just to connect one of the other things that you mentioned there around observing other things that are being created through the lens of a creative brief, if you're using words like insight or strategy or single-minded proposition, you can yeah. notice these things in watching stand-up comedy or in a song. You might hear a phrase or a sentence. You'd be like, oh, that's like an insight to me. Wow. Or that's like a strategy statement in your favorite novel. Notice these things and be connected to them. Don't 
separate them just because you're going into an office or, or into a Zoom. Exactly. I love that. Uh, the other thing with freestyle is like everything's a creative opportunity. If someone's wearing a blue hat or they've got black pants on or they've got yes. a funny mustache, everything's like you, you work it. you like, I trust myself that whatever's in front of me, whatever presents itself, you know, I was not a good freestyle rapper, by the way, so I'm not talking with any <laughs> expertise, but like, you know, everything is a creative opportunity. Well, there's an illusion though, right? Because the best rappers or the best, you know, comics that integrate the crowd into their act or integrate, you know, you're not just going in with a, with a written verse when you're going into freestyle, you are writing things and memorizing things in a way that you can easily say, but, 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 and the blue hat and but, 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 it doesn't matter if it's a red hat, green hat, whatever, you'll be able, it's the same sequence. It's just that you have designated spots to plot in what, is around you, you know, yeah, yeah. and also that time, which you'll also notice is people are observing before they ever get on stage. So when I'm doing stand up, I'm looking at the crowd and knowing kind of who I'm going to point to when I'm doing certain jokes and who I'm going to call out when I'm trying to sort of get some sort of crowd participation. And so right. that's where it's like the art of being prepared, but looking like, you know, it, it's on your feet uh, is a very valuable tool. All right. I think we. I think there's like five little techniques in there from let the beat breathe, don't rush first thoughts out, being prepared, which is absorbing the world around you and absorbing people who craft things, but also being prepared with the structure where you talk about creative brief or it could be a 16 bar rap, right? Being Be prepared. Yeah. Notice things that are out there. I guess that kind of connects with what I just said. Everything being a creative opportunity. So there's a lot of really useful techniques to connect here, right? Yeah. Final question for you yeah. any advice for it's a weak question whenever any advice for mm-hmm. any advice for somebody else who's out there who not in an arrogant way wonders if their brain's a little too fast and they're not sure whether to stay fast to slow down to move careers any advice to help that person navigate that feeling mm-hmm. Let the beat breathe. I'll say that again. Take a step back, assess, write down what's important to you and and advocate for yourself. The, The most important thing you can do for yourself is take the time to understand yourself. A lot of times people get into a state of confusion and overwhelmed, being overwhelmed, because we're just constantly going and we actually never sat down and wrote out what would the plan for my life actually be? What would actually make me happy? You know? So something that always kind of uh, irritated me was when somebody would say, you know, I'm not happy, but then you're like, well, what would make you happy? And they don't know, you know? And so I think that, you know, it's a principle for your career. It's a principle for life. Understand what would make you happy. Understand your worth. Advocate for yourself. And, you know, don't be afraid to to take a break and get yourself set up to take a break. I'm right now, uh, you know, getting ready to go on a one-month break, reset. You know, I'm not going to be hiking in the, the Andes or anything like that. I'll just be taking stock, understanding myself, taking care of my mental health, going to hug my grandma, you know. And, and spending time with my awesome partner. And I did a while ago write down what's important to me and, and I've been advocating for myself and it, it's really helped. That's awesome. That's awesome. I feel that's like an entire separate episode that we could get into there. Asha, I really appreciate you being here today. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. If people want to track you down on the internet, 
where can they find you? Uh, find me on LinkedIn, Asha Davis, uh, my website, ashadavis.me, or on Instagram if you want to see some comedy at Asha Got Jokes. Oh, that sounds exciting. Asha Davis, thank you so much for joining me on Swearhead today. Peace. Peace. Thank you.